Welcome to the Pop Culture Pub Podcast. Now let's begin. So this is the first episode in a while that I've done where I'm calling it the captain's table. This is like this is episodes where I talk to somebody and interview them. And for this episode, I have with with me this evening Jeff uh, Swiston. Did I get your name right, Jeff Swiston? I, I love it. I, I'm on a roll in the new year with people getting that very difficult name right, Chris. You did. You you got it. I think you're my third person today, so I I'm, I'm feeling good. Excellent, excellent. So I'm here with Jeff Swiston, uh, the author of TV Dinners Unboxed: The Hot History of Frozen Meals. So Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for for being here tonight. Oh, I'm loving it. I'm lo- I'm loving it in advance of the discussion. This is a funny topic, and uh, you know we'll get into it in detail and. Um, but it, it, it warms my heart as uh, as meals, hot meals and comfort food should. Yes, excellent. You know, um, so for uh, just to let our listeners in, uh, you had reached out to me and said, hey, you know, um, I got this book. It's about TV dinners. And that's pretty much where, like, in my mind, I just, I, I said yes, because <laughs> I, I, I love TV dinners. Um, yeah. that, you know, like this, uh, like uh, admittedly, I apologize. I didn't get through the whole book yet. Um, no problem. No problem. I, I ordered it before the holidays, but with work and then with the holidays, I, I, you know, like I always think I'm going to have more time during the Christmas break and I really don't like, I always end up doing, you know, doing lots during the holidays and, but anyway, yeah, no, no, that's no problem. We'll encapsulate it for you and for the readers and, uh, you know, it, it is a quick read, and I appreciate everyone's on a, a schedule. I used to fly a ton, Chris, so I, I call this the perfect, um, if you've got a three- to five-hour flight, you could probably do this book and, and, and not, you know, have to read it continuously. It's I, I kept it light but deep, and uh, but, you know, we'll talk about that. Yeah, um, act, like, actually, I read the bulk of what I've read um, when my wife and I were going out to my son's um for, for Christmas with, with my son and his fiance, uh, because they live, uh, about a two hour drive. So my wife drove on the way there and it was daylight. And so I, I brought your book and I, you know, got a good chunk of it read during the drive. Uh, unfortunately I had to drive home that night. Plus it was dark, so I couldn't drive. I couldn't read. No, anyway. no. And, but I appreciate even that level of dedication to it in preparation. That's great. Yeah, no. Well, and I mean it for me, like I said, it's easy because this is, an awesome topic. I'm I'm so glad that uh, that you reached out because, you know, as as we get talking here, you know, it'll become apparent that, uh, yeah, this this uh, this topic and the, um, you know, my my own history with TV dinners is is uh, a loving one, I guess. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk about you, Jeff, a little bit. So, uh, sure. uh, where are you from, and and uh, what's your background? Yeah, that, uh, thank you so much. So I'm a Winnipeg um, native. Uh, uh, left Winnipeg just in you know the beginning of this century with a, a job opportunity in Toronto, and mm. then migrated to Ottawa. Currently in Mont Tremblant, Quebec, a ski area, mm. and kind of in the midst of that uh, timeline, Chris, I was commuting to New York every second week um, for nearly 12 years, well over 11 years, I was working on Madison Avenue. Oh, wow. Uh, between, yeah, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a great experience between two agencies, one called Interbrand, which is 
the preeminent brand consulting agency in the world, um, and then moved up to one of those madmen agencies, DDB, or what was called Doyle Dane Burn back in the 50s, and, and mm-hmm. they moved back to that. They, they got away from the acronym, and they're, they're spelling out the, um, the founders' names again. It's something I tried to advocate for about a decade ago, but didn't, didn't have any success. And so always been kind of in marketing, always been in consulting, a big fan of history myself. Uh, wrote a marketing book about five years ago that was, you know, uh, totally applicable to today, but really mm-hmm. leaned on marketing's history. And um, I'm a ghostwriter. I've helped um, uh, CEOs uh, get their books to market by r- helping them write them, publish them, and, and market them. And then this topic came up, um, and I might be, sorry, jumping ahead in your questioning, but I'll, I'll just say this topic came up and. It wasn't, um, I have a history with TV dinners too, but I wouldn't consider myself an expert or an aficionado like some people who sample them on YouTube mm-hmm. or write articles about them. I was just more interested in, you know, the history around them. And I found something that contradicted a lot of the origin story of TV dinners. So to me, they're, they're like a superhero and I needed to figure out the origin story. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and I got, and I got to say, uh, Mad Men is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I absolutely love that show. Um, Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Yeah, I when my first day in the job uh, in DDB, um, I received a memo that DDB was going to be featured in the show. So I you know, started there in 2007. That's when, when Mad mm-hmm. Men debuted. And uh, actually got a redacted script. Just, you know, didn't see the whole plot, but saw the mentions mm. of DDB. And we were allowed to sign off of we, we turned, you know, we got very good mentions throughout the show's history, um, whereas some agencies like McCann, you know, they, they, they were lambasted in the show. So, boy, was I happy at the end of the show, the happy of my tenure at DDB that we, we came off well. Oh, that's really cool. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because McCann um, was kind of like uh, like the Empire, I guess, in Star Wars. Like, it was just kind of there. And then it, and they ended up becoming part of it. And then, yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's... Chris, I love that. Actually, I started hearing the um, the Star Wars music when you said that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, I can't remember the name of the actor, the guy that ran McCann in the show. He was such a great actor, um, such an amazing. Yeah, he's, he, he's kind of one of those that's guy that that guy. You know, you like you, you yeah, you know, you, him and stuff. He's not one of those recognizable Hollywood names. There's so many of those. Oh, that yeah. guy. That yeah. Guy. Uh, and he, yeah, you're right. He did a great turn throughout the series, uh, playing sort of this uh, puppet master of the advertising industry. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's really, really cool. Awesome. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll uh, talk a little bit about the the book here, um, and and I and I love the cover. You know, like oh great. I I love the little you know you'll devour this book. Appreciate it by you know like it's just awesome cover. Um, so yeah, what uh, you know, like like TV dinners is like for myself is just something that has always been a part of my life. It's something that uh, I kind of take for granted. It's always been there. But what inspired you to to delve into this, to research this, and, and to to come up with this uh, book? Yeah, so I think there were a couple of inspirations. First off, the, the, there was no one sort of uh, catalyst for it. I think it, I'm a pop culture guy. I'm a history mm. guy. Um, 
I, I really love mid-century modern. So we've been talking about Mad Men. I love that era. I think it's mm-hmm. it's really fascinating. Um, I'm, it was also, you know, I get inspired by uh, Terry O'Reilly, you know, and, and his stuff, what he covers in, in his work. And I, I'm actually, I'm not, I wouldn't say friends. I'm sort of a distant colleague of Terry's where we'll answer each other's emails and share each other's books. Oh. And yeah, so I've, I've nice. enjoyed what he's done. And, but there's a, a writer out there called, uh, his name is Mark Kurlansky. And for your listeners, I, I really, if you're into this, you know, narrative history, uh, pick a topic and, and delve into it. But, you know, like my book, uh, Mark's books, he, he's written on salt. And that's literally the name of the book, right? New York Times bestseller. Another one was Cod, where he examines the fish. Hmm. Uh, he's got a new one just released. I listened to a podcast that he appeared on about the onion. And I think he did a brilliant thing in this one. Uh, I'm going to take a lesson from it. So he's telling the history of the onion and he does a great job. Like his research is fantastic. Yeah. He's included in his most recent book, uh, hundred recipes as well with the onion. And I thought that's a, a really nice hook, which will get historians and, uh, you know, home chefs, uh, into it. So I've always enjoyed Mark's work because uh, he takes a topic. It's not dry or boring. It's it's every paragraph you want to sit there and ponder it. Um, you know, I, I had someone, a friend who, who uh, recently read TV Dinners Unboxed. He said, I'm having a hard time getting through your book. You know, my heart stopped. You know, was it mm. bad writing? Is it this and that? He said, because I, I, I read a page or two and I, I need to Google something and, and, and then I get taken down a rabbit hole because the things you're citing are other stuff I want to investigate. So that what I thought was a criticism turned out to be, you know, a, a huge congratulations. Yeah, well, one thing I, I will say about about the book is um, all your all your references like it. I mean, it's so like you go back to page 179 where it's uh, listed off, because you see it a lot throughout the book, like, you know, um, reference here, reference there, and it's, man, it's just amazing how many different things you reference for this book. Like, it, it's, um, it, it, it's it's really incredible, I think. Oh, well, thank you so much, you know, and, and the, the fact is, I'm, I'm so happy to source, uh, you know, where I, I got some stuff from, and, and the, the insights, uh, you can almost see my insights coming together, you know, based on where my research was. It was all secondary research. I didn't go and interview anyone at Swanson or the Frozen Food Institute. I thought about going deep. I went deep on that in my marketing book, and I didn't think the payback was as good as I thought in that level of research. I thought, you know, just there's a lot of stuff that, out there on the Internet. And I debunk, as I say, the origin story based on my research. So mm-hmm. it's not like I had to go off and uh, validate uh, some some suppositions or some conclusions. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed that part. And I, I, I'm, I'm really tight, Chris, on this. I, I got bottled up on this. I didn't go loose. Uh, the book is very tight in its research. Excellent. Excellent. No, you can definitely tell. Um and, and uh, one aspect of it that I really enjoy is the is the way you integrate um, history in with the with the, the the subject of the TV dinner, um, and and it, and it made me think about things that I didn't really uh, associate before. Like for example, uh, on page thirty one, um, I'm just going to do a little quote here from from you. Uh, simply, you. Pu- simply put, if our relationship with food was rational, there would be no obesity. We pursue what feels good, 
and eating eating certain foods is a biochemical way to reduce stress comfort foods such as tv dinners are tied to times and places that remind people of safety joy warmth and the flavors of childhood like man like that just that 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 hit me like when i read that i was like that is so true um and it, it, it is, and of course, you know, the one thing I, I like, I'm not advocating on other side of the, the frozen versus fresh debate mm-hmm. or, um, you know, TV dinners versus, you know, entirely home-cooked meals. I, I lay it out and everyone can make their own conclusion. The fact mm-hmm. is, you know, Americans are eating over 72 frozen meals a year uh, uh, on average. Yep. Uh, China's ca- catching up in that. And maybe in the 50s, 60s, well into the 70s, you could make the case that that probably wasn't healthy, right? But that the the fact of the matter is the the process of freezing, the variety of menu options, um, and 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 how the foods are prepared now, mm-hmm. uh, the, you should you know help to eradicate the stigma that's long been attached to frozen foods in general, but frozen meals specifically. And the one thing, you know, I, I really wish I'd hammered on, you know, you finish a book and you talk about it like we're doing tonight. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, even I've gone back and read passages. I should have really hammered home. It's mentioned a couple of times, but not as heavy as other things I wanted to wait, is that the portion size of a TV dinner is fantastic for the knowledge of us as consumers today and what we should be eating in terms of amount of food. Mm-hmm. Now, it's true. Hey, listen, I've done it. I've, I've zapped two Swanson turkey dinners in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we yeah. probably all, you know, most of us probably have done that in some form of frozen meals. Yeah. But if you were to sit down and just have, name it, banquet to, you know, very fancy ones out there now, Cedar Lane and all these ones that are doing foods that I, I you know, I'm going, where's this meal, you know, originally from? But if you sit down and have one, and Swanson from day one said, this is not you know, constituting every, you know, part of a, a balanced diet. Uh, in the 50s, they said you should have a salad, a bread roll, and a glass of milk with each one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, um, d- yeah, definitely. Like, uh, you know, I don't, I, I honestly don't know why people would, you know, bash on, on, on the TV dinner industry too much. Like, it's it's just it's like anything else. It's a convenience that you know use you know use sparingly if you want to. You don't have to you know have a TV dinner all the time. I mean, but I mean for some people you know it's a a, a cheap like now like it, it's funny because in your book you know like you were saying like when when TV dinners were first introduced they were actually quite expensive for the consumer. Like they weren't like a cheap alternative. Uh, but nowadays they're more of a cheap alternative. Like you, you know, like you go into um, some uh, stores and you can get like two Swansons for you know eight bucks or whatever, right? Like it, you know, like that's 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 pretty good. You know, it, it really is. Um, it's it's amazing that they can do it, but of course it's volume based. Mm-hmm. You know, this, the turkey is not the same when Swanson debuted. It was no. you know they. Were- fresh cut turkey and now they're but you know everything's highly processed and pounded into shape we were sort of used to that you know the mcnuggets are not natural at mcdonald's either uh you know so that all goes with it but yeah there there's still is cost effectiveness um and i find it kind of funny there's almost this um bias in the frozen food aisle with certain shoppers most people 
will not think twice about having a pizza, a frozen pizza or two on hand in their freezer for those emergencies and, mm-hmm. you know, guests popping by or a bag of fries. Those carry absolutely, you know, zero negative connotations, but still a, uh, a traditional frozen meal or TV dinner from Swanson banquet or stouffer's mm-hmm. those are those get this aspersions cast on them which is really interesting but i you know as i highlight in the book i think that's changing yeah i i think so too um even like i know like with my children um you know like the the you know because i i work and then my wife like she's not working at the moment she's um off work but you know, when she was working, you know, we would stock up on, on the TV dinners as, a, you know, for the kids. Um, because f- as a parent, I would rather have them put something in the microwave, you know, show them how to, you know, cut the, you know, the, the plastic off that, you know, that each meal requires you to take off or lift the corner or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'd, ra- yeah. I'd rather them use a microwave than a stove, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I, 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 and and I write in the introduction. I can, you know, you you read this in a rush over the holidays, and I once again appreciate uh, you giving it a look. But I tell the story of um, uh, right in the introduction of me heating up a Swanson, and we're you know mm-hmm. we're really saying Swanson a lot in this, and we say Swanson a lot because yep. they're synonymous with the, the phrase TV dinner. But there are you know hundreds of defunct TV dinner brands out there. There's a hundred of fantastic quality tv dinner brands out there but you know we always gravitate back to swanson it's like there's one product in the category which is not true but you know i tell the story of heating up uh, the swanson shrimp dinner in the mid 70s so Mm -hmm. that would put me about 10 years old i'm I'm 58 now so let's say it's 1975 i'm 10 i was trusted enough even then to use an oven Mm, yeah and as i write in the introduction it was a it was a form of independence it felt like um I prepared the meal. There was no fuss, no muss to the to the cleanup. Um, and and as you pointed out, you know one of the big things is convenience. But but speed and ease have always been the driving factors of a TV dinner. And that was right from the introduction. Um, you know there were some that predated Swanson, but didn't have their their storied history. So but from about 1953 on, it was the same sort of thing that we have in life now. People were harried, time pressed, stressed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you needed something to fall back on. And I actually thought there was a lot of honesty to the industry right out of the gate. They were never saying eat these every day or three times a day. They were saying balance it with other stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, and but, you know, I think these companies have to be sort of lauded, not just uh, the, the, the full meal uh, frozen dinners, but even bird's eye that, you know, and, and all the frozen vegetable companies and stuff, they've spent the better part or over 50 years, uh, a lot of PR and advertising and sort of public awareness stuff to say frozen's not bad people. And now people are coming around to that. You know, there's this mm-hmm. notion that when something is harvested, let's just say, you know, you get carrots under the ground, you know, those are prepped and cleaned and that, and then, and then flash frozen uh, within, you know, a very short period of time of harvest. And they're now comparing this to, you're fresh, you know, within 100 kilometers of your home farmed um, carrots mm-hmm. that they are picked, but they might sit for a day or two. They're going to be in transit for whatever period of time. They might be in the back of the grocery store for another couple of days, and then they're going to sit on shelf. 
And the argument being is those have actually lost more nutrients and have sat on shelf longer than the frozen vegetable variety. Yep. Yeah, it and yeah, it's uh, when you when you think about it that way, yeah, it's really quite incredible. Um, but yeah, like you know, in your book, you were talking about like uh, you know when they create, you know, when they uh, developed Freon and how it you know made uh, uh, freezes or um, freezers on fridges and deep freezes uh, more accessible and more uh, effective. Um, at, you know being a kid of the 80s like i grew up in the 80s so it's just something i yeah. always took for granted that you know like it's always always been here always will be but like for my parents and my grandparents that was not the case at all like you know like it's it's truly amazing how far we've come in in a relatively short period of time in terms of yeah you know freezing stuff and and keeping it um because you know back in the day like there was none of that like I know, like in, my... you know, in North America, people were shopping like Europeans might tend to do in, in most of the major centers and even villages and yep. you know, uh, villes and, and across Europe is that they shop, if not the day of eating, you know, just for every couple of days. Where North Americans, we we tend to load up because we've that's what our culture is. We're driving yep. culture. We go to the store. Ironically, you know, one of the things that North Americans hate most is shopping for groceries. It's it, among household tasks. That's number one most hated yeah. activity. Yeah. Um, but, but something happened, you know, really once again, I, I, I'd say Swanson was fantastic, but their timing was absolutely brilliant. There was like this confluence or this, you know, uh, uh, amazing uh, introduction of, of, of several technologies that took place at the same time. And you're right. Freezing was, was one of them. Like before that there was ice blocks and, you know, people that literally had ice delivered to their homes and, you know, mm -hmm. there was all of that. But now you had, Fridge and freezer, you know, operating in concert in the in the uh, kitchen, giving you know households, uh, you know, more variety and options. The television, obviously, we cannot understate its impact. That mm -hmm. that impacted, um, you know, what people ate, how they ate, uh, when they ate, if they ate in front of a screen, obviously. And the other thing was, to your point, grocery stores. If you went to one in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, it would be completely foreign to the shopping experience today mm -hmm. uh, very early on you know you used to hand in a your shopping list and they and they fulfilled your order in the back of the store uh, and you were there to pick out the nice stuff and as a branding and marketing guy you know we, uh, the transition happened then where then they started you know to the grocery store it was um, kind of like today where we have these self checkouts right we're going to yep. put the onus on the on the customer to do the labor because the labor, uh, even, you know, so in the early part of last century was the store clerks uh, picking and choosing the items uh, off a list from the consumer. And, and the grocery stores woke up and said, whoa, you know, this is inefficient. We're going to have the, the consumer pick and choose. And that, you know, you know, begat the, the aisles, uh, the branding of individual products on shelf, mm -hmm. that whole notion. And that all hit, like, literally between, like, let's call it 1948 to 55, a bunch of stuff happened, and TV dinners were wedged in there, and it was great for them. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I kind of wish that uh, I could go back in time and, and like you said, those those old stores, uh, you know, visit one of them, because, you know, it's really amazing. Like, I remember my, my mom telling me, like, with my grandpa, because he used to have a trap line 
that, um, you know, he would trap furs and then they would go to this trading post, trade the furs in for groceries. And I remember thinking that that's so cool. Like, I wish, you know, wish they had that. Like, and, and where I live, like the, um, cause I live in a rural area, there was a lot of little stores everywhere. Now, you know, like just, you know, bigger towns have the stores. Like there is no, you know, store from, you know, here to here, like there was back in the day. No, it's a good point, you know, and, and back then even, you know, before, you know, back then even grocery stores, I'll get this slightly off, but you'll get the order of magnitude. Mm-hmm. Um, there would be, you know, maybe five or 10,000 items in a store. Now your typical mid-sized IGA Metro Safeway carries, you know, 55 to 75,000 products. And, yeah. you know, so early in shopping days, uh, and this was part of it, this is why, uh, I think there's been this sort of hereditary from the last two generations to the current one that shopping's a pain in the butt, but it, it might have been more a pain in the butt back for our grandparents because mm-hmm. they had to go they had to go to the bakery, they had to go to the meat shop, they had mm-hmm. to go to the, the you know general provision store, they had to go to the, the grocery store to to basically satisfy a list that we get by pushing a cart through one fairly sizable store. Yeah, and. Um, but, you know, it, and it was way more expensive back then. I, I don't know if you got to the part in the book about uh, grocery. Oh, you did. You mentioned that yep. groceries were severely more expensive back then, like almost three times the cost. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, you know, it, it, that that blew me away because we always have this image that, and, I, you know, a lot of the book takes place at the inception of the 1950s, that that, that was a time where things were cheap. And, and it's just not true. No, uh, and and I know that was something like uh, talking with my my grandpa. Like I mean, this was years ago, because um, I uh, my grandma used to collect National Geographic's, so she had some from like the 1930s and so on and so forth. I can't remember how much they were, the cover price. It was like I don't know, fifteen cents or ten cents or something. And I remember talking to my grandpa. I was like, "Man, that was cheap." He's like, "No, that wasn't." You know, like I, you know. Back then, you're lucky if you, you know, I, I don't know the exact amount, but in a week, you might only make like a dollar or two. So that magazine it, was quite expensive. For sure. For sure it was. And, um, you know, there were things that were cheaper on a relative basis, but overall, um, it, it, it wasn't that great a time. And, and to give your listeners that relationship between a TV dinner, which might be a good benchmark for us mm-hmm. today. So if you do, you said, it, you know, two for eight bucks, and, and yep. that's not far off like a your basic Swanson still Salisbury steak or turkey dinner is, is coming in under five bucks. Mm-hmm. If you were to buy the equivalent in 1953, they were selling at 98 cents, but the inflation, the cost of living index changes would put that at 11 to $13. Yeah. So we're looking at three times the price. Now it was a novelty as well. It was just a new product. They weren't mm-hmm. mass producing them uh, in the same way. Um, and, you know, the ingredients of them back then were, were just fantastic. Now, as I say, Swanson is, is very, and Banquet even more so, um, you know, the competing brand that outsells Swanson now, but they've always been sort of Coke and Pepsi going at each other through the decades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Banquet ones are, are, are super cheap. Portion sizes are smaller. Quality of ingredients are, um, are inferior to, to what they once are. The same token, they're serving a purpose. But if you go up to these ones, like there's a, 
company now in Toronto, and once again, I'm not sure if you got to this point in the book, but the spatula, and I was really, it, it only like constitutes three chapters of my entire book, but I'm, mm. you know, you, I'm fascinated by it. You know, this was a guy who worked at Uber Eats Canada. He went off and, to get his MBA in France and uh, COVID hit and he was stuck. You know, he's stuck in France, yeah. kind of studying everyone. We were all dancing and figuring things out at the time. And they began, you know, doing all of his courses uh, via Zoom. And, and, and you know, he's really a fish out of water. He's a Canadian in, in Paris and, and, you know, trying to get an MBA. I guess the guy was bilingual. I don't know that for sure, but I would assume so. And he, and he discovers something. He discovers that France, this, you know, uh, you know, we think of them the, as the beacon of cooking and eating and, and, and how to break bread at a table. You know, everything French cooking is is just on that pedestal. And and he finds out that frozen meals in France are gigantic and that they're damn good. So there's two stories hmm. out of this. One is he comes back after his MBA to Toronto and, and, and launches Spatula. And Spatula, you know, sort of claiming that it's a meal kit. And we know that that variation took off also in the last five to 10 years and specifically during yeah. COVID where you're delivered fresh ingredients and given instructions to, to prepare a, a fairly involved meal, but you, but you can um, select based on complexity. And, and Spatula is really not a um, meal kit company. They're a, they're a TV dinner frozen meal company. Mm-hmm. comes in a bag, you know, it's a little bit different how it reheats. And it's this unbelievable, like you, you pick the dish, Beef bourguignon with uh, Thai rice pilaf, and I'm making it up, but it's of mm-hmm. that sort of that nature where it, it yeah. is not a Salisbury steak and French fries. Yeah. Um, and and then I go later in the book, and and I've got to get to France again just to experience this. But there's a company there that has uh, called Picard, uh, you know, total spelling of the Star Trek captain. Mm. Um, and I don't think it's related. No, it's not. Picard, here we go back to the, the ice being delivered to the home, started as an ice delivery company in France to okay. keep people's, yeah, to keep people's, um, foods cold. Yeah. Um, and has gravitated to this place that has like, I think, uh, 700 locations in France and maybe another 400 throughout the rest of Europe. And people buy kind of like, you know, M&M, uh, market here in Canada or M&M mm-hmm. food shop. Yeah. You know, which is really rebranded in the last few years and tried to go on upscale. Well, Picard's had that for a long time and people will actually do, uh, you know, cater, basically cater their own dinner parties by going to Picard's and selecting, you know, the three sides, the main dish, the dessert and an appetizer. Mm -hmm. And the joke is you got to go look in the kitchen of your host's home because you'll probably see the branded Picard teal colored boxes that the food comes in. And then you can all share a laugh because everyone loves Picard's. And even if the host serves that, that's, um, that's not a black eye on their hosting abilities. Quite frankly, you know, that's a kudo. So they have amazing, amazing food. Excellent. Um, yeah, being a Star Trek fan, I would definitely like to check that out. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I did it for the spelling. I don't. I, there's absolutely no. Uh, yeah, I tied to the show, but maybe you know what? What did they call it? Because um, I know you're a fan of that show based on on, on your uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. What it, it, the the food? Uh, what is the food thing called on the the Star Trek? Uh, Re- it's, uh, uh, replicator. The replicator. So yep. yeah, maybe maybe this is the the precursor to the eventual replicator, where you'll be able to you know order whatever food you want. Yeah, who know, uh, who knows? Maybe uh, Gene Roddenberry. Maybe when he was in Paris one time, 
saw Picard and was like, hey, that'd be a good captain's name. Oh my God, that would be that. Okay, I'm gonna have to do some uh, sleuthing on Google to find that yeah. one. Good find. That's a that's a good uh, put together, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, well, I know I know he was a well traveled man. Like he used to fly for was it American Airlines? One of one of those air like he used to fly overseas and stuff. And of course, he he fought in the war and everything. But that was yes. that, that was in the Pacific though. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, he was well traveled. So who knows? Like maybe that's where he got the name for his. Uh, French captain. That'd, that'd be really cool. Yeah, it, maybe it was even unconscious to him. Yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, like with this book, um, you know, just reading through it and stuff, it, it, it conjured up a lot, a lot of memories. Like, I, I didn't realize, well, I guess I did when I saw your, when I saw the title of the book, like I said, I, I, I knew I had to, to, to get this interview and I had to get the book. Um but I had I have a lot of good memories associated with with the TV dinner. Like, um, like I grew up, like I said, in a rural area. Like we didn't have uh, any takeout places. Uh, we had a, the old school store, you know, the mom and pop store. Like that's what we had. And for us, eating out, you know, using air quotes, um, would be my mom going through the frozen food section and grabbing some Swanson's or, you know, it was either the, the TV dinners, Swanson TV dinners or the Swanson meat pies. Um, Stouffer, I think came a little bit later in our store. Um, and then she would grab one of those, uh, McCann, um, or McCain, sorry, uh, uh, cakes, um, that you would get in the freezer section. She'd thaw that out and then, you know, heat up the TV dinners in the oven not microwave and yeah it was just it was that was our takeout you know and it and um you know like you know it, thanks for sharing that i never i, I never thought about that uh, you know and I, I could see that given you know where you were located that that would be a treat or you know mm-hmm. um you know, not only something special but you know uh, a fallback uh, based on your mom's busy day or what's going on and all that i, yep. ne- I never thought of it that way given you know your lack of um access to, to restaurants and fast food. And, and I, I think that's, I think everyone, when I started the idea of this book, I was bouncing it around and it, it, it really just started, I'm going to write a, a blog post. I'm going to write a paper. And it just began evolving. And, and, mm-hmm. and I found out that there was just, you know, more and more material that allowed me to constitute a book out of it. But when I mentioned it to people, family, you know, clients, colleagues. Yep. There was just something, and I would say 80% were positive, nostalgic, comforting, and then, there, mm-hmm. you know, there's detractors, and there's people who just think that there's no place in the in the food system for frozen overall, <laughs> and certainly not TV dinners. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this sort of uh, you know, uh, haughtiness towards them, but, you know, and like I say, they, they were resident in my house to something that could be counted on because my mom's a great cook, loved to mm-hmm. cook. Um, you know, we were very traditional given growing up, but my mom returned to the workforce. I was the, I'm the youngest of four, uh, in 1980, I'm 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, there, there, my two eldest sisters were out of the house. My brother was sort of in and out. And, uh, next thing you know, my mom's not cooking as much, but there's these things called Le Menu. 
and this was this brand in the 80s that was an upscale TV dinner. Mm. And upscale in many ways. And I, I really, you know, stay on this in the book because it is kind of my personal remembrance. And not from a negative. I was really proud my mom returned to work and, and did all that. I had no uh, uh, resentment towards uh, all of a sudden I got a heat of the menu because those things, I researched the price on those. Let's say around 82, 83. Those were 14 bucks Canadian in 82, 83. Oh, wow. That's wickedly expensive. Yeah. Crazy expensive. And, and I remember... Um, the chicken parmesan with linguine. And, you know, uh, we hadn't really even been introduced to the word pasta yet in Canada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we called it noodles. And, yeah. and there was this linguine, and it was extremely fancy. Once again, a, a completely appropriate portion size. I, I can still taste them. I, I, I talk about the shrimp Swanson dinner that I can still taste, and I can. But I can taste those um, chicken parmesan. But the neat thing about them, and I tell this story in the book, is I think half the cost was how it came packaged. So it had that, you know, specific cardboard box, but Mm -hmm. um, a lot thicker, uh, oh, three times as thick as a Swanson's box, Um, maybe a a little bit smaller in width, or sorry, in, you know, overall dimension. But inside the Le Menu box, the meal came on a round plate of Corel quality. Those Corel semi-disposable plates, like people would buy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. these aren't paper plates. These are sort of a, a, a plastic that I, I, you know, can't even describe. Microwavable, safe, obviously, and believe it or not, oven safe. And on top of it, you know how you buy these plastic raised dome lids to keep in your kitchen now, so you mm-hmm. don't put saran on stuff. You re- you reuse it. Well, it literally came with a lid like that. Every bloody dinner came with a lid like that. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know. Wow, um, you know they're manufacturing a, a, a decent meal on a round plate, and the round plate versus the um, uh, you know rectangular foil one really gave the impression that it was of a more distinct quality. Yeah. And and as I research this, Chris, uh, you know, and you get taken down all the internet rabbit holes in the world, and you can get, mm-hmm. get lost down there. But I, I found these chat rooms, and and people still have the, those plates. They were, you know, uh, Le Menu stopped, I think, manufacturing 88. I don't know what the reason was. I think they were just priced themselves out of the market. But mm-hmm. uh, So those plates are, are still circulating and sold on eBay. Um, people talk about them in chat rooms. One woman mentioned that her parents still had one of the domed lids, and they use it for those microwavable re- reheating things. So, mm-hmm. like, it, that was an incredible, uh, you know, little uh, TV dinner innovation because it created more steam versus, you know, zapping it, so, you know, and, and it just had a, a lot better flavor to it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think uh, Le Menus just uh, sort of priced themselves out of the marketplace. Yeah, and, and like, like I know you had mentioned um, earlier, like, yeah, we keep seeing Swanson, but there, you know, there were a lot of other ones. Like I know, um, for me, like in my teenage years, Michelinas was a big thing. Um, totally, and totally, and still it, is. Still, yeah, oh, still has got good market share. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it it's it it definitely still is. I know my kids love it. Uh, Stouffer's that you know I, I had you know mentioned you know it kind of came a little bit later for us, but. Like to be honest, I love the Stouffer meat pies better than Swanson uh, because I... and and their 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 chicken meat pies um, you know rank very well still mm-hmm. uh, Stouffer's meat uh, ch- chicken meat pies yeah 
Yeah, and and you, that's definitely something you need to throw in the oven. Like microwave foam does not work very well. It works in a pinch, like if you're in a rush. Like I've had to do that, like at work. You know, you only get a half hour lunch, and you you know don't have an oven. So, but yeah, uh, preferably, yeah, definitely oven. Um, but you know, also getting back to what I was saying, like uh, with me, like growing up um, in a rural area, like I said, it was kind of like eating out. But even, like, today, like, I know I was watching this documentary recently about this rural community up at, up in Nunavut. Um, and I say Nunavut, but it's actually, I think, our northernmost town in Canada. It's actually on an island in Nunavut. So it's not even on the mainland. It's not even on, like, the continent. It's, 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 uh, it's an island. And they have, like, yeah, the old school mom and pop store. Like, that's the only store they have in town. So for them these frozen meals, you know, is their only takeout. It is, you know, like, um, a variety that, that, um, you know, they normally don't get, you know, like there's just no other, there's nothing else, you know, for thousands of miles. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and actually yeah. I love things like that. I'd love to visit that place. I'd like, to, I'd like to see what life is like there and I'm not casting aspersions on their way or quality of life, but, you know, I, I I did work for the old um, uh, Northern Stores. The well, they they're now called the Northwest Company, which were the Hudson's Bay Company Northern Stores. And I knew okay. the CEO, and this is going back going back about twenty five years. And they were getting lamb basted at the time, like grocers are today with the high cost of things. But the the CEO said, "You try getting, um, you know, a head of iceberg lettuce up to." you know, point X up there mm-hmm. um, and, and see how expensive that is for you. And and so I think that, you know, speaks to it. This is part of what makes the frozen dinners frozen is our supply chain and food is getting more complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's many more of us on the planet. And, and frozen food is just going to become more and more important to, to how we we feed everyone on the planet, mm-hmm. uh, including. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, like, like when you think about like how far we've come, um, with the TV dinners, you know, since the fifties, and how, you know, how important they were back then, but how important they still are, in, in a lot of ways. Um. And 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 to another thing I'm I'm thinking of is as we're you know I'm envisioning that island I'm envisioning you know this population one of a few hundred I'm making it up but that's mm-hmm. that's what I've got in my thought and um, you know so they're obviously not they can't grow and harvest and farm and you know do all that stuff and I I found it really interesting in the book I'm a big Chinese food fan Chris I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you are but I, oh, yeah. I love North I love North Americanized. Uh, Chinese food, and I, I found out, you know, it was always weird to drive across Canada. I, you know, would do these trips, uh, you know, I'm from Winnipeg, and I'd go skiing in Banff, and you'd stop, you know, through Alberta and Saskatchewan, and yep. and every town, every town, regardless of, of size, seemed to have a Chinese food restaurant, mm-hmm. and uh, there's been a couple of books written on this, and, and I don't have their titles close at hand, but I, I you know, encourage your readers to look it up, is that a Chinese food restaurant can survive you know, make a profit uh, in the community 
if that community is of about seven or eight hundred people, it still boggles my mind, right? Mm-hmm. That 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 they can actually get enough business for that, you know, out of that. But it's true. Yeah. And McDonald's is different. When McDonald's looks to open up a uh, a location, they need in the immediate vicinity, whatever that's determined to be, you know, in the tens of thousands, so that they can ensure foot traffic and drive-through traffic. Yeah. My point being, I'm telling a, a long story here, but in the 50s and 60s. TV dinners from all the different manufacturers, and there were some cool ones called Dining In. I thought that, I thought that was as a branding guy, that was a great brand name for a, a TV dinner company. It didn't uh-huh. last, but you know, Dining In made a lot of gave it a fancy name that you were dining in at your house. But you know, there were so many of these companies, and some of them got um, ethnically specific. Uh, Rosarita focusing on uh, Mexican food, um, obviously Chung King focusing on um, Chinese food. And it was through these frozen meal companies that much of North America was introduced to different cuisine. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, before all these Chinese restaurants popped up across North America, you could buy, um, you know, frozen Chinese dinner in, in the, in the grocery store. You could, you could get enchiladas and refried beans from Rosarita um, so, you know, we have to credit these companies. They actually extended uh, and in, uh, the palate of North Americans and, and introduced them to new dishes. And that's happening more and more. Like there's some of the crazy ones I investigated. Um, uh, there's Trader Joe's, which is a, a retail grocery store in uh, the U.S. Very focused, very tiny. They maybe sell 10,000 items versus, you know, 75,000. And they're really known for some cool frozen TV dinner options, and they're you know they're picking these bizarre ones from Sri Lanka and Thailand, and not the stuff that we normally think of. And, and yeah. they're doing the same thing that happened 50 years ago. They're introducing consumers to new dishes and new flavors and combinations. And um, I, I just love that continuity of history. Yeah, no, that it it, it really is amazing. Um, the impact that TV dinners have had on our world um, as a whole. Um, but I just wanted to piggyback on uh, what you were saying there about, so um, like, I know uh, for myself, uh, my dad, um, his wife, she is a really good cook, right? Like super good. Um, and any, anyway, uh, sometimes, cause I, I used to stay at their place, um, my dad has since passed away and, and his wife moved away. Um, I used to stay at their place when I worked and there were days, you know, like, um, she wouldn't be cooking or whatever. She'd be running late or, or whatever. And I would just pop in a TV dinner. And sometimes I, 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 I always felt like it was like I had to, it was like, I don't know, like I was doing something bad because as soon as she seen that TV dinner, She'd be like, why are you eating that? I could, you know, make something for you. I, you know, like I, I was only, you know, 20 minutes late from coming home. Like, why are you, you know, like she just hated TV dinners. Like they were the, the worst thing ever. And I'm like, but they're so good. I, I, you know, and I, and I don't want you to, you know, like you've had a long day. You don't have to cook for me. I'm perfectly happy with my TV dinner. Um, yeah, but yeah, did, yeah. but you but you encountered that when you were were talking to people that some people were not for the TV dinner. So you know what's interesting about the book is that it's definitely a you know 
about comfort and this nostalgia harkening us back to previous decades. And what I think a lot of people, though it's changing, and it's really interesting how it's changing, is the stig- there's two stigmas attached to TV dinners, that they're cheap and of poor quality. That's kind mm-hmm. of one you know, overall stigma. And that there's, I hate to say it, it's really blunt, but I, there's no other word um, I could get around it, and quite frankly, it was used this way in my research. There's the loser stigma of the TV dinner, uh, you know the the low the lonely person the the um, the recently separated divorcees the uh, yeah you know the, it, it and you know that's that's been reinforced in in both in pop culture and in Hollywood and but it, it's really changing um, you know there's there's good uh, uh, Hollywood stories like there's um, Home Alone Home Alone features uh, you know young Kevin McAllister. Uh, eating two TV dinners. Now he's, you know, eight-year-old boy. Uh, you know, series of unfortunate events where he's left by himself, and mm-hmm. you see him grocery shopping and going through it, and it's kind of fun. Uh, that that uh, movie that's credited with the best best car chase scene ever from 1968, Bullet with Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen's character is a huge fan of TV dinners. He buys seven or eight Swansons in one scene. Mm-hmm. So there was also this sort of slightly balancing out, you know, the, the, the loser stigma. But what's changed, once again, quality of ingredients, ingredients, excuse me, and even better freezing technology so that the, um, the, the, the you know, the, the nutrients and the flavor and the texture is captured um, in the freezing process. But really, you know, TV dinners almost every de- decade have been told that they're going to die. You know, that it was a novelty in the 50s, that in the 60s people were eating healthier. In the 70s it was this. In the 80s, you know, people had more money. There was no need for them. Uh, and then, you know, the 2000s hit, and there was another death knell cast for them, and it was millennials, these sort of, you know, millennials and the hipsters who are so into the world and, and knowing better practices and espousing all these things that they'll never eat frozen food. Millennials are now, of course, they're older, they're 15 years older than when they were sort of named millennials, are the biggest consumers, uh, biggest growing constituent of consumers of, of frozen meals. And the same for their compadres of the, of the same age in China. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of millennials aging, uh, you know, they're, how old would they be now? You know, 30, 35 sort of thing. Mm-hmm. These, these folks, um, have totally, totally adopted frozen meals because that's what we're supposed to call them now—not TV dinners, but I default between the two. Mm-hmm. They're 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 huge consumers of frozen meals and have literally saved the industry. And they were the big adopters through COVID. They went, "This is great. I I, I can't eat out. I can't go to my fancy, uh, uh, you know, sushi places or my fancy this, but I can yep. get this really amazing meal from Trader Joe's or this upscale one from." spatula and uh let's go yep um yeah and it, it, it's funny like when you were mentioning like the pop culture thing like i remember um the first season of true detective uh there's a scene where woody harrelson's character is separated from his wife and and he's living on his own and stuff and yeah there is that one scene where he's seen as a sad man he's heating his tv dinner he puts it on his TV tray. He's got his bottle of beer, and he's watching like an old show or something. And you're meant to to think, you know, this guy's a loser. But yeah, you know. But I'm watching a scene. And I'm like, you know, 
I feel sorry for the guy's, you know, broke up with his wife, but at least he's got the TV dinner. Like, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, but, that's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah, there's another good one, you know, and the, and the women have taken over this quotient. Saturday Night Live that does those sort of, um, you know, satirical commercials. They, mm-hmm. they did one about, you know, lonely women, and they named the brand. I'm going to get it wrong now, but it's in the book about, you know, lonely spinsters. And Sandra Bullock in that first uh, Miss Congeniality, Mm. Uh, she has an day and, you know, she is kind of a loner, her character set up that way. You know, she's transformed into this beauty throughout the movie. But one time she had a, I think in one scene, had a bad date, came back to her pad and literally, you know, broke the microwave door out of frustration and heating her lonely TV, TV dinner. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, once again, I credit the, um, uh, the companies for sticking with it and, and really trying to, to overcome these perceptions and associations and really what are now looking, you know, more and more like stereotypes than, than actuality. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, uh, before we go, I'm just going to ask you a question. Um, sure. And, 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 and I'll answer this too. Uh, when it comes to TV dinners, what are your top three, uh, remembrances, the things that make you, love the tv dinner um like for myself um like I'll, I'll go first um like i said it's it's the memory of my mom you know like that was like i said our our takeout like my mom would we'd go down the frozen food food section you picked which one you wanted i'd always go for like the the chicken and, and mashed potatoes and 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 that and it was always swanson uh, i can't remember what my sister used to get but it was either the chicken or the turkey. That's that 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 was my thing. And then yeah, just you know the smell in the kitchen of it heating up in the oven, us uh, sitting at the dinner table. Usually we would do that when my dad was away at work. Uh, usually my dad wouldn't like we would like my mom would make meals when my dad was home. But mm-hmm. my number two memory is because you were mentioning earlier about the Salisbury steak. My dad loved the Salisbury steak, Swanson. Um, <laughs> My dad did too, Chris. <laughs> yeah, like, and I remember, like, when I was staying, like, because I used to stay at his place, like I mentioned, like, when I was working. Um, I remember my dad telling me, oh, yeah, you know, because uh, he, like, he was going away for the weekend or whatever. He's like, you know, I stocked the freezer. It's full of, you know, TV dinners. Help yourself. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I go downstairs. You know, the first night he's not there open up the freezer thinking, you know, I'll grab a TV dinner. They're all Salisbury steaks, all of them. Like, <laughs> you know, like there was, you know, he, he was so happy because my dad never really shopped for groceries. So it was like a big deal whenever he did. So he went to the store. They had, you know, the, a deal for, you know, the, the Swanson uh, TV dinners. And he's telling me about this. Oh, yeah, you know, they had this great deal on. So I, you know, picked up a bunch. All Salisbury steak, like nothing else. So I had a few Salisbury steaks that weekend, but you know, I just like I've just I <laughs> Salisbury steak is just I just think of my dad with Salisbury steak, um, and oh, then uh, my a, yeah. yeah, and then I, I would say my third one uh, memory is yeah, like the Swanson meat pies because um, they're like honestly, no offense to Swanson if anyone from Swanson is listening, I mean no offense, but. They're not as good as they used to be. Like, I remember back in the 80s, like, they were just amazing. Um, Stouffer's, I think, is better now. Like, if, if you're going to go for a meat pie from the frozen food section, go for Stouffer's now. But I remember just as a kid, like, getting those meat pies, it was just amazing. It was so good. Excellent. 
but um, Jeff, is, what's uh, three memories that come to your mind when it comes to TV dinners? Well, I'm reveling in yours. I really appreciate those. And I think that's what people will get a kick out of the book is that, you know, they may not consider themselves a TV dinner family from mm-hmm. from whatever decade or even now. But, you know, you're going to find some association throughout the book. And I, I frame um, the book, actually, in the, the one remembrance around the, the shrimp. Uh, mm. I start the book and yep. finish it. So it, that, that's that strong with me. You know, these are breaded shrimp, supposedly the most succulent and best that Swanson could find. And, yeah. you know, I, I kind of loved, the, I loved their marketing hype around it. But I, I really loved uh, what it came with. It came with this tangy sauce. Mm. And once again, I say in the book, and I'm saying it right now, I can taste it as I'm talking to you. Yeah. I remember the bloody tangy sauce that, you know, that you dip the shrimp into. And, and then it came with um, green uh, peas, green uh, peas and um, crinkle cut fries. And I just, mm. I remember the whole, I can, can picture it. I don't, I didn't need to do research. I didn't need to Google that. I could, I, I remember, um, that, uh, that, that dinner. And I wanted to echo what you said. I, I think with every TV dinner, people are, are still poo-pooing them. And I mean, don't buy Swanson or, or, you know, the, the basics that you hear about. Go buy one of these high-end ones, but make sure you pop it in the oven. Chris, you've emphasized mm. that twice. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm now piling on a little more time, but we're not that time pressed people. It, it actually, I believe each one comes out at least, uh, you know, t- I, not doubling in, in flavor, but it's much better out of the oven. It is uh, absolutely. So I, I just wanted, I wanted, yeah, I wanted to squeeze that in. Uh, those lemenus that I mentioned were really cool. They they were a neat remembrance. And you know, if you were to say to me, what would you buy right now? If you could only buy one TV dinner, it's the first one that was ever made it still is swanson turkey oh my god the quality is not there and it's a very cheap you know option right now but there is nostalgia in that turkey dinner and i think it was fantastic that swanson and you know read the book for the origin story because i, I totally uh debunk what the what the internet currently says and whatever when the anniversary of TV dinners come up, you know, these poor uh, media outlets, they don't do their research. They regurgitate the wrong story. And, and I'm hoping to, the book puts it straight. But it was so cool that Swanson chose kind of a mirror of the U.S. and Canadian Thanksgiving TV dinner. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, TV uh, dinner, not even TV dinner, dinner mm-hmm. with the turkey, the mashed potatoes, um, the green beans, and uh, later, you know, a, a, a cranberry uh, addition to it. There was something smart in that choice, and I, I don't think it was totally strategic. It was a lot of luck built into it. But once again, there's associations with eating comfort food. And, you know, when uh, North Americans predominantly, and there's a lot of good stories about the rest of the world in in the book but you know we dominate in, in eating frozen meals uh, north america but there's something that harkens us back to that idea of breaking bread mm-hmm. and so even if you're eating a swanson you know turkey dinner um by yourself i'm hoping that you have an association to a previous time that was really good and it's it's providing that that you know those great associations those great memories that fun nostalgia um, because that, to me, is still the best meal, is that, that turkey dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it is definitely fantastic. Even if it is the, you know, the sliced meat type of turkey, um, not the fresh, you know, off the turkey turkey, but um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's still good. It's still good. 
Um, I, I totally agree with you. There's something about it. It just first bite will take you back. Yep, absolutely. Um, so anyway, uh, thank you, Jeff, uh, for for coming on the podcast, for reaching out first of all, and uh, giving me the opportunity to to have you on and coming on the podcast. I really appreciate that. Um, well, it was great to find. You know, I, I, I did a search. I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very proud of the book. I'm excited that, you know, people will be reading it and hopefully enjoying it. And when I saw your podcast, I thought it was a perfect fit. So I'm really glad we had the conversation. Excellent. And and I would definitely love to have you back, um, you know, not, not maybe not just as an interviewee, but uh, as a guest, just to, just to come on and talk about pop culture stuff. Because, uh, you know, I, I, you know, this network that I've created is, primarily about pop culture stuff um so you know uh we we do different topics and i i'd love to to get you on sometime to get your perspective on things oh my god you you you're i'm sold um i i go down a lot of different interests and you know topics and as i say this this book might turn into a series i'm looking at um you know uh, how people lived in their homes in the 50s and 60s home design and you know how they structured homes. Uh, that's a bit of pop culture and design. But I'm also looking at one I think would be really cool. Tell me what you think, Chris. Um, covering, you know, trends, fads, and bandwagons. You know, how... And this can cover toys, you know, like mm-hmm. the Pet Rock from the 70s. Um, you know, how waterbeds, you know, were a hit for a while. Oh, yeah. Long. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, the, planking. Uh... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, that, that, that sounds awesome. Um, I, I personally, personally, I hate waterbeds. I, I don't know how anyone could get comfortable in those things. Um, my, my cousin used to have one and I, you know, when I used to sleep over at his house, I used to hate it. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I would actually just, just sleep on the floor. Like I, I, I couldn't do it. Um, but yeah, you know, like I had a pet rock, like it, it would have been mid eighties, but I, I remember having a pet rock. Um, oh yeah, there's a lot. You know, I could I could probably do a book solely on toys, but I, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. thinking of that as a chapter. And uh, you know, I, I'm really interested in how people, how it moves. Like as a marketing guy too, how you know, I know word gets out through advertising, but word of mouth is the, mm-hmm. the most uh, impressive form of marketing. How these things take off. Like even this century, we had those flash mobs and planking, and you know, weird. You know. Yeah, you know, in our, our dad and grandfather's time, it was stuffing phone booths, you know, and mm. like just weird things that we get into that are flash in the pans and, and how they get popular, how people, you know, get involved. And, uh, you know, really, because marketing's about psychology, I mean, I'm interested in the psychology of, of how we have these fads and bandwagons and, you know, what drives it. I'm, I'm you know, so I, I'm just thinking of that as an idea, I'd like to get into it and see what happens. No, that would be fantastic. One one fad that I would suggest uh, looking into, if you if you can, um, would be uh, how many people you can fit into a car or into a trunk to get into a drive-in. Like, because I know, like my mom and dad used to do that <laughs> all the time with their friends. And yeah, I, yeah. and I I think my mom said they they on. I mean, you got to remember these cars back then were like boats i think they got like yeah. something like 15 people in one time and they <laughs> and they only paid for three so yeah. uh, oh no there's there's so many of them i i'm i'm um 
I'm both uh, excited and daunted. You know, when I when I yeah. start on this uh, journey, what what will be uncovered? But I, you know, I learned a lot through writing this book about what's important and what's not important. But I, you know, I, I think it's uh, I think it's worthy of um, of getting down on paper and, and hopefully people enjoying it when it's uh, when it's done. Absolutely. But yeah, like I said, um, the book for, from what I've read so far is fantastic. I can't say enough great things. I recommend it to anyone that. Uh, that I see when they see me reading it or they see me carrying it around, uh, you know, check it out. It, it's really good. TV dinners unboxed. Um, my guest uh, this evening was Jeff Swiston or no. Yeah. Swiston. Yeah. No, you okay. got it. Perfect. 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 Um, so, and like I said, you know, I'd definitely love to have you on again. Um, just to, you know, as, as a guest on, on the show, like that'd be fantastic. But before we go, uh, on, on my on my podcast, we play this little game that we call "Where Can We Find You on the Internet." So, Jeff, if people wanted okay, to yeah. if people wanted to find your book or or get in contact with you, how would they go about doing that? Multiple ways, and, and you sort of pointed out through the the attempting to you know say my name properly. It's a tough spelling, but you know, Swiston is S W Y S T U N, and Jeff with a J. Uh, I'll pop up. Um, you'll find a website more related to my branding and marketing work. Um, I am on X, uh, formerly Twitter, mm-hmm. um, LinkedIn, all those spots. And and you'll you know if you actually want to get a taste of the book, uh, look at me under Medium, uh, where, which is a you know article blog sharing site. And I posted about four to five uh, excerpts from the book. So Jeff Swiston under Medium. And that will also take you to all my other areas. Uh, but that will give you a taste of the book, and I'm sure it'll be one to make you buy the entire thing. Excellent, excellent. Um, I know I always feel weird saying X now. I'm on X. I, I always feel <laughs> yeah. weird saying that. Like, I just wish I wish Elon would just go back to calling it Twitter. Um, so I always, I always feel weird. I'm well, on X. Well, you know, in... in, in yeah, in my in my trade, you know, um, so I've done a lot of you know naming and branding projects uh, through the years, and uh, you know X just seemed more like he's a very you know different guy. We were all mm-hmm. learning that about Elon more and more every day, and him choosing X was you know related to just his favorite letter. But I find it interesting as a marketing guy, I would uh, be saying, well, if you're going to change it to X, you've got to change the URL or the domain name too. But they've kept it Twitter. Yeah, which I find fascinating, you know, and and to me it's a kind of a cop out. You're not really getting the name, uh, and I think it's also recognition that it's just an ego play, and, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's not smart business. Yeah, yeah, but I guess when you got that much money, you know, you can do what you want. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Um, yeah, he can buy he can buy a few TV dinners if he wants. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but um, all right, well, thank you again, Jeff, for coming on, and I want to thank you dear listener for taking the time to listen uh to this episode of the captain's table on the pop culture pub podcast and i will see you again in the not too distant future